0: You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, and welcome to the Earn and Invest podcast being recorded live on Fireside. I'm your host, Doc G, and today we are talking with Frank Vasquez about what I am sure is his favorite topic, annuities. Let's start with a post from the Earn and Invest Facebook group. That's at earnandinvest.com Facebook. And this was posted by Carol H. She asked a question. I paid a fee-only advisor $1,500 because I wanted neutral advice. She is pushing an annuity. That seems wrong. Did I waste my money? There were several responses to this post, both for and against annuities, but I wanted to highlight one by our friend Frank Vasquez. He wrote in reply, yes, that was probably a waste of money. Annuities are rarely appropriate for anyone and should be shopped for like insurance. They make their purveyors lots of money, though, which is why they are pushed on a public and have very large organizations lobbying to keep those commissions flowing. So today I thought we would talk about this touchy subject, annuities, and I just wanted to remind anyone in the audience that you can become a part of this discussion just to request to come up on stage, you hit those two lines at the bottom left portion of your app, and request to come up on stage, will bring you up and you can ask Frank or I a question Let me introduce our guest. Frank Vasquez is a mostly retired lawyer with over 30 years of experience in investing for his own accounts. He holds degrees in economics and engineering from California Institute of Technology and a law degree from Georgetown University. He is also the host and creator of the Risk Parity Radio podcast. Frank, welcome to Earn and Invest. Tell us, us what does Risk Parity mean?
1: (laughs) Risk Parity is a style of investing that was pioneered by Ray Dalio and it concerns taking uncorrelated assets and combining them into a portfolio to get yourself better results. This is what Ray Dalio calls the holy grail of investing. He actually has a nice little YouTube video explaining that. But what my podcast is about is constructing retirement-style portfolios that have lesser drawdowns, but also have enough returns to maximize your safe withdrawal rate. And if you are interested in those sorts of topics, you can listen to it and send in questions. And most of my podcast these days is answering people's questions. So it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting topic to a, a small group of people, but very important for people who are in their 50s or, or doing an early retirement and trying to figure out what to do with their uh, portfolios.
0: And recently on Risk Parity Radio, I heard that you were celebrating the fact that June was National Annuity Awareness Month.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do a I do a rant every month about something that I find in the financial services industry that seems to be offensive, and that one came up. I actually subscribe to something called Think Advisor. It's a website that is directed at financial service professionals but most of it is about lobbying and about how to extract more money out of clients or attract more clients and so a lot of it is really uh, taking advantage of people it's, and 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 this this thing came up as something that's been going on for 10 years the national association of fixed annuities has been declaring june as as annuities month or annuities awareness month has been lobbying state states to uh, pro- proclaim this in their states, and issuing things like coloring books and stickers that say "We love annuities" <laughs> on them. <laughs> <laughs> um.
0: Because our little kids who are using coloring books and <laughs> <laughs> <what they're> <laughs>
1: right? And and it's it's just it, it, to me it's just a representation with not so much what is wrong with annuities, but what is wrong with the marketing of annuities, which are. Presented often as these kind of Swiss army knives that are supposed to solve all of your investing problems, but they end up being very big money makers for the purveyors of annuities. And the incentives are all wrong when you think about somebody who's offering you one of these things, because from the insurance companies, point of view, these are big money makers because they make, they make the money on the commissions in the first few years. They make it on the fees, depending on the, how the, the annuity is structured. And then they also may get surrender charges if you are into one of these things and you suddenly realize you can't afford to make the payments anymore and have to surrender the thing. You're going to pay a penalty for that. And the insurance company is going to make money off of that. So there is a lot of incentives for them to uh, sell these products, whether they're appropriate or not, and gussy them up with all kinds of bells and whistles, which typically make them even more expensive and make more money for the insurance company. Um, You know,
0: it's notable, this idea that people end up surrendering these annuities quite often. I feel like we're dancing around the subject, but not defining it. Can you give us a good definition of what qualifies as an an annuity?
1: Uh, An annuity is a contract, and it is a contract with an insurance company. And you, as as the customer, agree to pay money into this annuity. You can either do it all, there are different kinds. Um, um, you can do it all at once. It's the simplest form of an annuity. Or you can do it over a period of years even. And then there will be a payout from this annuity based on the contract. Now, the simplest form of an annuity is what is called a an immediate annuity where you simply pay a lump sum, say, $100,000, and then they agree to pay you an income, which could be for the rest of your life or could be for a period of years.
0: Yeah, that's a SPIA, right? A, that's a, single a SPIA, premium, a, si-
1: a single premium anne- immediate, immediate annuity. annuity. And that, that is the simplest form. Now, these can get very complicated, though, because they will also create contracts where you have investments inside of the annuity, a variable annuity. So it'll have like these mutual funds inside the annuity. And then you're paying into this and investing into the mutual funds. And and so your payout is variable depending on the performance of the funds and the terms of the contract. These contracts get very complicated. Some of them have, for instance, a floor saying you can't lose money or you can only lose X, X percent but they also usually have a ceiling so that they're taking, instead of, you know, you getting the returns that you would have gotten 20% in a year in some great year for the stock market, you're only going to get 8% for, for that period. So these are contracts that get complicated and they have what you need to think about when you're thinking about a contract is what is your obligation to perform? And your obligation to perform on your side is either to pay the money up front, which is the easy one, or you may be paying money over time. And if you don't pay that money, you may have to surrender the annuity, in which case you're going to pay an extra fee. And then you may also have some tax consequences. So these are used, I mean, the best use of them and the, 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 what they were originally designed for and what these single premium me- immediate annuities do is, is give you this income for, for life. It's a guaranteed income based on it. So it's a, like creating a private pension. It's essentially w- what they were originally designed for. If you add a bunch of bells and whistles, these are often sold as accumulation vehicles to younger people. And that's, that's the inappropriate use that I see of them. As yep. these, these being sold as somebody in their twenties or thirties as invest in this thing and accumulate in this as opposed to your retirement accounts or your other accounts. And it's just, it's not an efficient way to do that. It just costs too much and it's, it's not appropriate. And that's the, the principal objection that I have to them is, is that kind of use of them
0: let's talk about this idea of them as accumulation vehicles especially when we're talking about young people buying into them when i see the arguments it almost sounds like we're arguing about permanent and whole life insurance versus term are we confabulating annuities with life insurance or is it that it becomes part and parcel of a life insurance policy
1: well they could they can be combined with insurance in various forms of contracts. But I think the, the the better way to think about the difference between life insurance and an annuity is life insurance is, it's actually death insurance. It's paying on the um, contractual event of somebody's death. So, so that's the principle of uh, payment under a life insurance policy. The annuity basically pays you to stay alive. So typically it will pay you as long as you live. And then when you die, it stops paying. So it's almost the inverse. Now you can combine these things into very complex products that have both a death benefit and a early payment benefit. And there is almost no limit to how complicated these products can be. And that's that's the, the selling point from the insurance company's perspective that we'll design a, a product that will... Do something for you. It'll, it'll be the Swiss Army knife. It'll help you accumulate. It'll take care of your life insurance. It'll do all these other things, and it just it ends up being ex- an expensive way to do jobs that it's not really set up to do. So because you would never, you'd never want to use a Swiss Army knife to cook in your kitchen or to do carpentry with. You'd get the appropriate tool for those things, and often these are pushed as all in one solutions for financial accumulation and and that's that's what I object to that I think that you really need to pick the right tool for the right job, and these are seldom the right tool for a job unless you are looking for that private pension.
0: I want to get back in a moment to why these are so rotten, but you said something interesting in your comment on Facebook. You said annuities should be shopped for like life ins- or like insurance. What did you mean by that?
1: What I mean is that if you, if you are, for instance, annuities are sold like like cars <laughs> almost. And if you only went to one dealership, they would only sell you their kind of car and they would try to find one that matched up with, with what you needed or what they thought you needed, the, the best thing they could have. But that's not the way you should shop for uh, annuities or life insurance. You would go to different dealers. You would do research on different models and makes and what they have to offer. So, what you should be doing or the better way to approach this is to, is to, if you need an annuity, you would talk to a independent advisor. You would figure out, well, what exactly do I need? What are the features that I need for whatever I'm doing here? And then let's go talk to a few companies and see what they have in that line. And so you are buying a specific thing that you've already determined is suits your needs as opposed to getting sold something that has a bunch of bells and whistles that you hadn't thought about. But they, you are convinced that, that you need something that you probably don't need. So it needs to start. They they say, you know, annuities and insurance are sold because you go in and they tell you all these different things that they could do with this thing. But the better approach is to decide what you need and then go shop for it, as opposed to going on, showing up on the lot and then and getting convinced you need something that you may or may not need.
0: So you mentioned the Swiss army knife-like character of some of these annuities. You've also talked about fees. What else makes them so rotten?
1: The surrender charges and getting, getting your money tied up into them that you i mean you you have you are stuck performing on this contract and it typically goes for about 10 years in which you may be required to pay into this contract before you can either get out <laughs> or or get a payment or do something else with it so instead of having your money in a brokerage account where you could access it whenever you wanted without paying any penalties you are effectively giving over your money to some other entity which will hold it and restrict you from it. So what, what gets people is they sign up for one of these things. A few years into it, they realized, hey, this, in, this doesn't perform like I want it to. I really should have just invested my money in 401ks or IRAs or just a plain old brokerage account. And now I want to get out of it and you can't get out of it <laughs> you have to keep continue performing under the contract or suffer surrender charges and so and so you, you get locked up into these things the simpler the simpler annuity uh, the spia that you're talking about in that case you are giving up your money in exchange for a stream of payments and so you you don't get the money back so if you're and and these work well for older people in their sixties or seventies that decide, well, I, I want, in addition to social security, to have this stream of income that is guaranteed. But in exchange for that, you do give up whatever that money is, whether you put, you know, a, a few hundred thousand dollars into it. That money is not going to be available to your heirs. And if you, if you die, <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> and so there, you're basically, being paid to stay alive. If you stay alive longer than they expect, then you are going to make more more out of it. But if you don't, then then the money is gone. And so these really need to be thought of as you know you you are you are surrendering or giving up your money either here or later in exchange for some kind of a guarantee that you may or may not need, depending on how old you are and what your other circumstances are.
0: What we're really talking about is hedging against longevity risk. Yeah. I mean, the idea of annuities kind of makes sense, right? Because isn't doesn't a pension and Social Security, I mean, aren't those, in a sense, types of annuities? E-
1: exactly. The, 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 if you Social Security is essentially a form of an annuity or you could construct an annuity like that with it would have an inflation rider is what it would have that your payments would go over time up up over time based on inflation those are typically uh, fairly expensive you can go price these things like you go to a site like imme- immediate annuities on the internet and you can put your money in there as if you were going to buy one at a particular age and look and see out what the payout schedules are likely to be on that and for somebody in their 60s or 70s who is relatively healthy, this may be something that you want to do with part of your uh, retirement funds, but it's not, it's, it's not really designed for younger people or for all people. And you are essentially depriving your heirs of that inheritance <laughs> if you do that, which, is, which may be fine. My first experience with looking into annuities actually came up with my parents they this was about 12 years ago and they essentially were outliving their retirement money because they didn't think they'd live past about 80 and now they're 92 and 87 and still going strong so i was looking into ways to help them and we decided to buy their house from them and so looking at that then we were we'll, we'll we don't want to just give them this this lump sum we would want this to be more of a as long as you live kind of payments and so i at the time i looked into well what if we just bought an annuity for for them with this the, uh, with the money that we're going to give them for the house and what we what I, we decided eventually was, well, you know, we can just give them a stream of income <laughs> effectively acting like the insurance company without involving an insurance company. And so that's what we ended up doing. But in that process, I did a lot of research as to how these things are structured, what the IRS rules are for them and, and all those sorts of things. But what you saw in there is that when I did this research is that there are all kinds of different you know, bells and whistles that people attach to these things. And when you price them, you can get vastly different costs depending on what you are trying to do. You know, for instance, in this case, we're talking about a joint life annuity. So if you have a a couple, you're going to get a lesser payment if if the payment continues while at least one of them is alive, as opposed to having an annuity where it's just based on one life. But you can have the, a joint life or a single life annuity. And so I don't know where I'm going with this now. But.
0: <laughs> you, you, don't have a, you don't have to have a destination.
1: Yeah, well, <laughs> I've been I just trying to relate the, the experience of them. I, I think these things used to be much more mysterious than they are now. You can Because you can go online and you, you can go get quotes and prices for these things if you want one. And I think that's the way you we should be thinking about these things in the twenty first century. In the last century you had to go and show up at some financial advisor or insurance salesperson's office and you would never know what their side of the story is and how they were making money or how the thing worked and you sort of were in in a in a blind sense buying things. I, I don't think we we don't have that problem anymore as, as long as we're willing to go and look and do a little research ourselves because it's you know, it's mind numbing, but it's not that complicated for do-it-yourself investors to really look at these things and decide whether, yeah, I do need one of these or I don't need one of these. In most cases you you don't need one of them because the best use of them is to have this private pension and it's not for accumulating wealth or creating wealth. There's no free lunch. These are sold as being well. You get this guaranteed return, and that that word. If you hear hear, if you hear somebody talking about a guaranteed return, it means that they are getting they are taking something to give you that guarantee. And in the in the case of trying to accumulate wealth, what is the insurance company doing with that money you give them? Well, they are investing it in stocks and bonds. That's what they're doing with it, which. Leads you back to a wall. You can do the same thing. If you wanted to invest the way an insurance company invests, you can actually look and see how their, how their investments are allocated and you can create that same portfolio if you really wanted that. But then you would keep all of the gains from the portfolio as opposed to handing some of them over. So just by putting a company in the middle, you know, you're always going to get less in the long term as opposed to just accumulating your assets on your own, and that—that's that, that's where I see the, the abuse coming here. And you know, the we love annuities and National Annuities Month. The, those were our efforts to push these things on everybody, essentially to, to get people taught, roped into these contracts as early as possible in their life, so they keep paying into them when they should be accumulating wealth on their own or in a different in a different i wouldn't say product in a different account where they're not you're not paying over the fees because as we know from you know jack Bogle's common sense investing on uh, you know a one percent fee over many years it really damages your ability to accumulate wealth and when you're talking about accumulating wealth in an annuity these fees are much more you're talking more Two, three percent on just what's in there, and then in addition to other commissions and fees and charges, depending on whether bells and whistles are on this thing.
0: On this episode, we'd like to give a shout out to Unify Money. The big banks spend billions of dollars on advertising each year and create special acquisition incentives and promotions to attract new customers. And you know why? Because they have to. Because they offer very poor value for customers' deposits. The separate accounts and functions make it purposefully complex to manage money. All these expenses, advertising, branch costs, etc., have to be paid for. Unfortunately, it's the customers that foot the bill through low interest rates and high fees. A typical bank retains over 90% of what they make from people's money. Unify Money aims to give 90% of the money back to users. It has been created to provide people with a better way to manage their money. Unify Money offers a single solution that includes everything you need for everyday money management, including saving, spending, and investing. Unify Money has optimized your personal financial management to make it effortless, maximizing passive income via interest and cash back and creating long-term financial assets through investment automatically and by default unify money makes your money work for you not the bank if you want to learn more check it out go to earn and invest.com slash unify again that's earn and invest.com slash u-n-i-f-i and check them out let me reintroduce you we're talking to frank vasquez of risk Parity radio and we are discussing annuities Frank, you said some interesting things there and you said almost the same thing in a few different ways. One is when you were talking about your parents and selling their house, you were thinking about annuity and then you realized, hey, I could just invest it myself. The other thing you mentioned as as some of these annuities, they offer a guaranteed income. But the truth of the matter is those returns that are guaranteed often are probably lower than we could get on our own. You know, it begs the question if... We could invest better than the person running the annuity. Why bother? Some people point to tax benefits. Are there some unique tax issues that make these maybe better for young people, people who've already filled out all their tax-deferred brackets?
1: Probably not, unless you're extremely wealthy. And now you're getting into the the tax treatment of insurance contracts, and then this gets... Can get extremely complicated because there are specific rules that keep these kinds of contracts within the protected insurance rubric, if you will. And if, if and if you go outside of them, they, they become what's called a modified endowment contract, and they lose the, the the tax benefits. But for most people, the tax benefits are are oversold for these products that. You need to really think about well, what tax bracket are you in? And most people, for for long term capital gains, this is what what we're talking about in an accumulation phase. Most people are in the zero percent bracket for long term capital gains because they most people make less than fifty thousand dollars most other people who are not in that bracket are only in a 15% bracket for long-term capital gains. And that that exists until you start making over $500,000 a year. So for most people, the tax benefits out of these annuities are oversold because your actual capital gains taxes just aren't that high. But fear of taxes is one way that these are marketed. And so when you get your Free steak dinner invitations like I get. I know COVID's over now because I'm getting my free steak dinner invitations <laughs> uh, now. And, 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 and that's what they market on largely is fear of taxes and, and fear of future taxes. And think about it. They've been doing this for 30 years and have taxes gone up or down? They've mostly gone down. So somebody who bought into that in the 1990s really shot themselves in the foot. So you may believe one thing or another about it, but I'm just saying that these are marketed, the fear of taxes is used for marketing purposes to get people to buy into these things without really calculating their own circumstances. Because depending on what capital gains tax bracket you're in really determines whether these things make sense, whether you're really saving a lot on taxes or not. In most cases, you're really not. They are also sold as well. Really wealthy people do these, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's this associative kind of idea. It's like if you do this, you'll be like really, really wealthy people. <laughs> it's like no that that's, doesn't that's, work, huh? that that's that's not how they accumulated their wealth. They they weren't buying insurance contracts or annuities. That that, that is not a wealth accumulation mechanism. <laughs> but they're sold that way.
0: And and your contributions generally are after tax, right? So you're still paying taxes on your contributions. Yeah. Once in the annuity they can grow tax free, but then when the money is distributed, you're going to be paying capital gains taxes. So it's not the windfall people think it is.
1: That that's correct. They're, depending on how the thing's structured, the the, the taxes are going to be in or out at at a specific time. But they all fall into the under the rules for insurance contracts because technically that's what that's what they are, and that's why they're sold by insurance companies.
0: So every time we have a discussion like this in our Facebook group at earninvest.com backslash Facebook, we always have some fervent supporters of annuities. Why do you think there's such, you know, emotion there? Why people are backing these so strongly when we talk about it in a public forum?
1: Well, there's two two reasons. I mean, there's the people that are involved in selling them. (laughs) So... (laughs) I think there's a, a quote from Upton Sinclair uh, that I recall, and it says something like, you can't get somebody to unbelieve something or not believe something if their salary depends on them believing it. Um, so, so from the perspective of people that are involved in the business, the, the, they, they can't not say that these things are, are good. For other people who have who have bought in, consumers, they would they would never want to admit that they made a mistake. And so oftentimes people will persist in a belief, even if it's incorrect or they just, they just didn't know any better. And so they bought into one of these things and they don't, they've never really analyzed the other options and, and that's how these things are often sold to people. It's like, well, you get this thing and it has this guarantee and it has these features to it, but but they're not comparing it to anything. <laughs> so it's like, what, what, wouldn't you like to have this guaranteed income? It's like, well, sure, anybody would want a guaranteed <laughs> income. But if you're not actually saying, well, how much does it cost and what do we compare it to? Then you're not really thinking through all the options. Daniel Kahneman has this, phrase which he calls it's an acronym called (laughs) whizziati what you see is all there is and when you go to buy a a product like this you're basically presented with a set menu of these products and they're not going to compare them to other alternatives that you might have investing yourself or doing other things they're just going to show you this menu and you get to pick from that menu and that's all there is and if you're in that mindset that oh Here's the stuff on the menu, and I can pick one of these things. You're not thinking of, well, there's stuff that's not on this menu that may be better for me. <laughs> and so there, there, is, there is a mindset that once somebody is committed to a certain course of action, they don't want to believe that they've made a mistake. And so for that reason, they will continue to support their earlier decision, even even in the face of contradictory evidence.
0: Yeah, there's some economists, right, who also back the use of these vehicles. I know Wade Pfau talks a lot about SPIAs, which I think admittedly most of us think are probably the more reasonable yeah, of the are- annuities. But I know that he's backed SPIAs for the risk of longevity. On the other hand, I've also heard him say on interviews, the problem is these contracts are so difficult to understand that often you don't know exactly what you're getting.
1: That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's very correct. That, And I always think of it, well, what is it from the insurance company's perspective? They're not going to offer you something unless they're going to be able to make money on it, which means they're going to take your money and invest it in something else or help run, run their business. So it has to be a moneymaker for them to be offered to you. And so then it becomes a question of, well, what, what, what good is it to you? And if it's a guaranteed payment that has some value in, in your, in your whole life. But if it's, if it's marketed as an accumulation vehicle, then it becomes kind of a non-starter and they make it more complicated. The more complicated they make it, the better off for them usually. There's more fees, there's more commissions, there's more of an ability to market by presenting different scenarios to you.
0: It kind of gets back to that old saying about you don't go to an insurance to buy investments, you go to them to buy insurance. Yeah. And it seems like we we are continuously bumping up against this idea that we could go to an insurance agent and get a good investment, which I just don't know if that necessarily is true.
1: Generally not. It's it, again, goes back to using the right tool for the right job. And if you are trying to accumulate wealth through insurance contracts or annuity contracts, you're, you're, you're just, you know, leaving money on the table or g- giving money over the table that, that you could keep in your own pocket because there are better tools for accumulation than these sorts of things. And these, these, that's why I say these things have limited purposes and you should use them for the purpose that they are primarily designed for, which is giving this kind of private pension guaranteed income and not all of these other reasons why they are sold, either for tax purposes or accumulation purposes or, you know, other kinds of make you feel good kind of thing. So a lot of them are are basically said are sold on. It's like, oh, we're going to give you this guaranteed return of let's say seven percent, where over the next twenty years. And uh, somebody wrote me in a, uh, my podcast saying, "Is this is this a good a good deal for me?" And it was <laughs> it stuck in their four hundred three b or something like that. And I said, "Well, think about that. I mean, that is a nominal return. So that is." before you take into account inflation. So if inflation's 2 or 3%, it's really after inflation a 4 or 5% return whereas the real return on the stock market is 8%. So it's like half as much. <laughs> it's it's really not a good accumulation vehicle and and by, by making those kinds of comparisons and the other one is if you just think about the rule of 72, that in 20 some years, your investment in the stock market is likely to double three times, seven, each doubling each seven years or so, because it's making 10% nominal, whereas this annuity product or is going to only double twice in that same time. And If you're talking about $100,000 doubling three times, it's the difference between having $800,000 at the end of it or $400,000 at the end of it, which would you like to have? (laughs) So
0: so it's safe to say if a podcast listener comes to you and says, I'm interested in a SPIA, your typical answer is, or you could just take your money and put it in an S&P 500 index or a total market Uh, index and probably do better.
1: Well, if you're you're in the, the accumulation Phase yes. If 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 you're talking about getting to be you know 60 or 70 years old and wanting to have a guaranteed income, I would say go. I'm I'm thinking of buying a SPIA when I get to those ages. But a lot of it will be dependent on what my health is like, because (laughs) they're paying you to stay alive. So if you're very (laughs) healthy, (laughs) if you're if you're very healthy, these are good deals for you because the payout is based on actuarial tables of your expected life your life expectancy at that particular time so for like a 70 year old if you if you price a spia you're getting like a five percent payout out of that which isn't bad except that your your heirs are not going to ever see that money but if you think you're going to live another 20 years that may be a useful thing as as you get older and it was interesting when i had to i i basically had to price this for my parents since we decided to pay them this way, and so I think my father was near eighty, and the, you know the payout for an eighty-year-old on an on, and on a spia is you know it's eight to ten percent, maybe because the, the life expectancy isn't that great. Now he's ninety-two, and so they're they're making a lot. they got a good deal off of this that I gave them. <laughs> I
0: was about to say they knew they were going to make. <laughs>
1: yeah, um, but that's the that, that, that's that, that's the trade-off you have there. so I, I you know I, I I think these have a purpose, but a very specific purpose for older people, and they don't have very much of a purpose for younger people. Now you can come up with all kinds of different scenarios of, you know disabled children and all sorts of things where you might want something like that for a particular purpose. but again, these are not being sold as things for particular purposes. They're being sold as the thing everybody should have. (laughs) And that's my objection to it, but because no, everybody should not have these things. Only the people that need them and in in a specific uh, period of their life or a specific circumstance are, are, are the ones that need them. And then the, and then even if you're going to buy a spia when you're older, you wouldn't put all your money into that. You would put in, enough money to create an income so that that plus social security is basically covering your kind of base needs. And then you would still have probably most of your investments in other things. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a floor for that. It's not a one size fits all solution.
0: Have you been to the Earn and Invest Facebook group? That is at earnandinvest.com slash Facebook. There we discuss similar topics to what you hear on the podcast, but it is going on Monday through Sunday, every day of the week, 24-7. Catch up on what's happening in personal finance, the economy, and the world in general. Here is your chance to become part of the Earn and Invest community. Go ahead to com slash Facebook. Again, that's com slash Facebook. We'll see you there. You know, it begs the question, Frank, for someone who has no descendants, a SPIA might be a very reasonable thing, or for someone who happens to have a huge permanent or whole life insurance plan, which I'm not necessarily a big fan of, but if you happen to have one of those, putting a small amount of money into a spia also may make some sense, just in the sense that you know you're gonna be leaving your descendants some money. So there are some targeted reasons yeah. as you were saying.
1: Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, but but they're targeted. <laughs> that, 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 that that these things do solve certain problems and they do it very well, but they do not operate as a general purpose. Vehicle either for either in retirement or or prior to that, and in most circumstances they are they're oversold, and they're most of most of what's out there, you know, probably needs to be creatively destroyed <laughs> in <laughs> Schumpeter's terms. Um, <laughs> I see a lot of you know essentially products that were. Came out of the nineteen eighties or nineteen nineties that you know are are still in existence that probably should not be in existence anymore because we have other we have other ways of of dealing with our investments now that didn't exist then.
0: Talk about some of those other products. I mean, we're talking about annuities, but there are definitely some other insurance products that I think are are very much buyer beware. Any other types of insurance that you think are being oversold today?
1: Yeah, I mean, generally. All kinds of wealth accumulation insurances is is being oversold, whole life policies. You get into these things where they, they mislabel what they're doing. They're not even calling it insurance. They're calling it, you know, infinite banking or some slogan yeah, I don't un, I don't Just, understand
0: infinite banking please explain that to me cuz you know they always push this idea that you can both have your money invested and borrow against it too and it's like well anyone can go to the bank and get a loan and borrow against money that's invested or you know, well, you can well, lever in lots of ways. Yeah,
1: not only that. I mean, if, if you want to have investments and borrow against them, you open an account at Interactive Brokers and they have 1% margin rates and, and that's better than any any insurance product that you can put your money into. Those are just whole life contracts and they are designed to maximize the accumulation that you can have without creating what's called a modified endowment contract. There are legal limits as to how much you can put into a policy and when you can put it in there. And so these are designed to maximize that. That being said, they're not very good investments. If you look at, and I've looked at many of the illustrations, which is what, this is another problem I have with these sorts of things, is they're seldom talking about the actual numbers. In order to talk about the numbers for an insurance policy, you need to look at an illustration. for starters, to see what you're doing there. And usually what you'll see is there's about a 30% commission in the first year. And because there's a 30% commission in the first year, these never catch up to a alternative investment where you were just investing on your own. And so you're looking at, you know, a good way of thinking as a rule of thumb is, well, how long does it take to double this investment? Most of these contracts they're they're not doubling they're not they're not breaking even for usually seven years or so. they're not doubling for twenty years whereas yeah, that's you, a bad sign <laughs> yeah yeah and so it it's really a non starter in in most cases and 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 these are also sold as you know to what I call wanna be rich marketing you know. <laughs> With the idea is like, well, really wealthy people use these things. That's true, but really wealthy people who have over $20 million estates are buying what's called private placement insurance, and it's a completely different product that is not sold to the general public, and you need to have at least $2 million for starters in order to get involved in that. And that is useful for people who have that kind of wealth, but it is not going to make you wealthy buying different insurance products because wealthy people buy insurance products and that's but that's how these things are often marketed as as a this is what the smart people are doing (laughs) you want to get in on this
0: yeah a lot of fomo
1: yeah you know it's it's some of these things are just almost like that this bad penny that keeps showing up that you just it, you know, it, it, it just never gets any better. (laughs) I, I, there's been a, I don't know whether it's, I just notice it more these days, but I just see this come up over and over and over again, people touting life insurance policies as wealth accumulation vehicles. And they're, they're just not, they're just not good. I mean, yes, you, yes, they will accumulate something, but it's not, it's not better than what you can do on your own or elsewhere. It's just a you know, suboptimal way of your of operating your financial life.
0: In our Facebook page group where the post that you and I have been talking about was posted, the whole idea was that it was an actually a financial advisor who was suggesting the annuity. Talk to me about the role of financial advisors in pushing these products, because I feel like that's not just insurance agents, but we're actually getting that push from our advisors?
1: Well, usually it's because they have a financial interest in that product. I think something like 98% of the people that call themselves financial advisors are working on commissions or working in, they're not fiduciaries, put it that way. Only about 1% to 2% of people that call themselves financial advisors are actually fiduciaries which means that they are sworn to give the do the best for their client as opposed to just selling something that is what is called suitable which <laughs> is, which is uh, you might say is marginally useful but you know pays the largest commissions i mean the sad fact of it is is that you know financial services the history of it you know goes back to brokers stock brokers you know selling calling up people and getting them to invest in things and back in the 50s and 60s there were you know large commissions on stock trades like 200 dollars at a, at a pop and that's how they made their money this also went over into insurance sales and the whole financial advisory business still comes from that sales oriented idea where you have somebody who's with a company. The company has a variety of products, like a car dealer has a variety of cars. If you go in there, they are going to try to sell you one of their products. And, and, and that's and that's the, the menu that they have to offer. And their job is to match something on their menu with what your circumstance is. But you can't go outside of the menu. They're, they're only going to offer you what's on their menu. And that, unfortunately, is the way that a lot of financial advisors still operate. They're conflicted just by their business model, the nature of the business model, which pays them to sell things.
0: So what I'm gleaning from our conversation is that annuities in general are probably bad for young people. They're bad for wealth accumulation. They may be suitable for people who are looking to modify their longevity risk, especially if they don't have any descendants. It can help stabilize their portfolio in a small number of people. If you're listening to this conversation and you're still like, I think I might be interested in annuity, are there some places you can go, let's say on the internet, that's much more objective where you can compare annuities or at least get a clear view without someone trying to sell something to you?
1: Yeah. Well, I, I mean, if you're interested in a SPIA or something like that, or a, a, even a deferred version of that where you you know put some money in now to get a guaranteed income starting at a later point in your life. Immediate annuities is the site I typically go to. If you just if you search them, you'll you'll be able to uh, price or estimate. You know, I'm you know, fifty six years old. I think I want to buy annuity when I'm sixty five. I think I want to. What if I put a hundred thousand dollars into that? And you can go and put those parameters in there, and it will pop out. It'll tell you, well, that would pay you this this amount per month for the rest of your life. And it'll give you some variations on that or, you know, if it's a fixed period of years or or, the, or those sorts of things. So they can be useful for that. I mean, the, the the other the other kinds of people that these are useful for are people that are you're worried about being them being able to manage their money. So if you have somebody who your grandma <laughs> who got, you know, some payout from something that they have and you just want to secure their income for the rest of their life and they're already 70 something this can be a useful thing to have because it, it because it takes away the the possibility that somebody's going to show up later and swindle them out of their money it, it's useful for that mechanism as well for and if you had somebody who was disabled and they needed to have an income for life you would you would probably go and look and try to figure out what kind of annuity would be appropriate for for them. Uh, if you had a disabled child, for example, and you knew that they were going to need an income for life, that, that, that these sorts of things would be useful for that. So there are, you know, I'm not, I'm never saying that these aren't useful for somebody in some particular situation. What, what I'm always just repeating ad nauseum is that they're not a general. A general purpose vehicle.
0: Well, Frank Vasquez, I wanted to thank you for bringing clarity to annuities and how we can use them. I want to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what's up next in your life and specifically if people are interested in Risk Parity
1: Radio, where they can find it. Well, you can find Risk Parity Radio on on the interwebs. I do have a website, www.riskparityradio.com. The um, podcast is distributed to all the usual places Apple Podcasts. Stitcher and, and all those sorts of things. And I think it's the only podcast that has Risk Parity, and that's P-A-R-I-T-Y, not P-A-R-O-D-Y. Um, Which is a whole different thing. <laughs> in the name, so you'll find it very, very quickly or, or just search, search my name. And just released my 105th episode. I've been going at it for about a year with this. One thing that people find interesting as as part of that podcast, I do have seven sample portfolios that are live at Fidelity. We look at those every week and you can see how a drawdown scenario works for each one of these different portfolios. And so I think th- that that's, that's what's new and different about my podcast as opposed to a lot of other ones that we're not only talking about these concepts, we're actually Doing it live essentially, so you can think about well what what kind of portfolio might you want um, in retirement? I think most of my listeners are typically in their fifties or if they're younger, they are thinking about um, early retirement and and how to convert over their accumulation portfolio into a drawdown portfolio. So if you are interested in that topic, that's all we talk about there all the time. <laughs>
0: This has been the Earn and Invest podcast. On behalf of myself, Doc G, I wanted to thank Frank Vasquez. Thank you. That's a wrap. Right, Frank, stick around for a few moments for the after show. If anyone in the audience, Tim and Woody, Woody, I'm talking to you, would like to come up and ask a question, just request to come up on stage. So, Frank, uh, you, you have done annuity shopping, so it's not like it's something completely anathema. Um, no. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I have too. I mean, I've looked at Spia's. It is enticing right this idea because all of us are looking at that sequence of return risk that risk that will have poor returns in our first 10 years of of retirement and it is quite enticing this idea that okay i can put a certain amount of money away and get guaranteed returns but you are tr- you know there is some morbidness to this whole idea of you're really trying to say i bet i'm gonna live longer than you think <laughs> yeah. Like like you as insurance company hope I die as soon as possible. <laughs> Whereas I'm hoping to, to, to make it for a while.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm I'm pretty sure I'll probably use some of our assets to do that, you know, when I get to around 70. But basically, I'll look and see what my health looks like at the, at the time and make a determination, you know, between me and my wife. What uh, are we going to, you know live as long as my parents who seem to be on their way to a hundred at the rate they're going Um, and and,
0: and may actually, you know, benefit from that spia.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So uh, yeah, no, I'm not. um, I I think that it's definitely uh, a tool for, for that, that kind of use. And I'm also thinking about, you know, the fact, well, if I do die, my wife does not have the same interest in managing investments that I do. And so I would want um, I'd want her to have that um, set up um, as a, you know, as, as guaranteed income. Um, but every time I've looked at it, it, it always seems to me that it doesn't it doesn't start to make sense until you get up to those ages because if i were to buy one now the payouts are so small that it's just right. not worth it just it. wouldn't make sense it's yeah. just, it's just it's just not worth it um once they start paying 5 or 6% on you know what um on on on, the, on what the principal is I mean, of course you're not getting your money back it's there at first you are oh. just getting your own money back basically and so it's you know you just need to live long enough and then <laughs> and then you start actually getting a a payout that's greater than what you put into it. So someone
0: like you who's looking at this, how do you decide what percent of your assets to put in? So, right, it would be, in my opinion, a fool who'd put all their assets into something like this, especially someone who's accumulated a lot of wealth and has children, et cetera. But when you're looking, for instance, at your own portfolio, you're saying, well, 70, 80, maybe this is going to help my wife. What percentage of your assets would you actually contribute to SPIA? I
1: would, I would look at this and I think it's always important to look at your expenses to start Mm with. Um, Because the idea of this is that some minimum level of expenses are going to be covered by social security and plus this thing. Um, And so that would be my primary Interest in looking at the level of expenses that are likely to accrue, and then matching that up. And so, I wouldn't necessarily pick a specific percentage of my wealth to put into it. Um, it would be more
0: about the payments. Yeah, it would be
1: yeah, more uh, more about what what are we trying to cover here? What are we actually trying to do here? Um, the um, I mean, the other thoughts I always have on this is also, you know, do I really want to leave a bunch of money to my children who will then probably be in their fifties?
0: <laughs> my <bratty> kids. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, and with, with that, it's like, well, I, I'm trying to give it to them now in various forms. One, one way of being is to, you know, fund their IRAs every year. So it's like, <laughs> go out and make some money kid. And I'll, you know, you make 4,000, I'll give you 4,000 and put it in an IRA. Um, and I think that, uh, thinking creatively about where your money's going and getting it there sooner rather than later um, makes a lot of sense um, for a variety of reasons. You care about your money. Of course you do. So why aren't you listening to SoFi Daily? This podcast will keep you updated on the latest news in the stock market and how it could impact your financial life. Stay on top of what's happening. Listen to SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts. That's SoFi Daily, wherever you get your podcasts.